Press Club in Washington, D.C. Several ministers of the gospel stood at the National Press Club and um, they, they, they stood in support of equal protection under the law for uh, gay men and women, including gay men and women who desired to marry. And what they were told and what they are told is that they should not stand in support of gay men and women being uh, desiring to marry because the dominant position of the church is that in the United States under the rule of law that even though the Constitution is supposed to be the law of the land, that gay men and gay women should not have the same right to marry under the laws of the Constitution of the United States. That is the dominant uh, position of men and women of faith. But I, I want to say that personally, I agree with these men and these women of the gospel. I believe that everybody should be protected under the Constitution. When you start uh, protecting one group and not protecting an, another group, which was the position where black people was not so long ago, then everybody is subject to be in danger. It is not a question of the definition of marriage. For as a Christian, I believe that the Bible says that marriage is one man and one woman, but that is my personal belief. But on the other hand, I live in the United States of America that, despite what anybody says, is not a Christian country and has never been a Christian country. And, 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 if it, and, and, and we have evidence that it is not a Christian country. We are a country that is ruled not by the Bible and not by the Koran and not by the Torah, but by the laws in, of this land and the Constitution. And so I am one that firmly believes that everybody ought to be protected under the Constitution, even people that I fundamentally disagree with. And so I stand in agreement and I, and I, with them. I think they're right constitutionally. But whether you agree with that or not, um, most of us in here have been in a place where um, we were told to stop doing something that in our hearts we believe that we were right. Am, am I right about that? Mo most of us, even if you can wind your clock back to when you were being parented, I'm sure somebody in here got a beating, got a whipping. You got, you got the electric, electric cord uh, applied to your rhombosity because of something you fundamentally believed that was right. Your parents disagreed with you. Your mom or dad disagreed with you. You took your whipping, but you never changed your mind about whether or not you were right in what you did. And that's um, what we're going to talk about today, is sometimes uh, when you do the right thing, people who are very close to you are going to tell you to stop doing that which is right. Even right now, do you know that as important as the 2012 election is, 
Do you know that there are some people and there are some ministers of the gospel, ministers who historically have been at the forefront of encouraging people to go to the polls, there are some ministers that have taken the position that they are not going to encourage anyone to go to the polls or they're not going themselves. But I I just want to say to you, you know that the right thing to do is to go to the polls, amen, and to vote. And in regards to whether or not you agree with the candidates on some position, I will say no one who thinks clearly is going to agree with any candidate on every issue. I wish I had somebody say amen. I'm just saying if you are a free thinker, if, if, if you would think there are going to be some things that you're going to disagree with the candidate on, but that ought not prevent you from going to the polls and for casting your vote and participating in the process. In other words, you should do the right thing. Anytime, listen, anytime you would dare to do the right thing, be prepared to deal with the private and public opposition to that which you're doing. Are you hearing me? I'm saying anytime you decide to take a stand for that which is right, and not only to take a stand, but to live your life in reflection of the stand that you are taking, be prepared. Somebody say be prepared to experience both private and public opposition to the stand that you are taking. This is what brings us to our text today in the book of Amos, chapter 7, verse 10 through 14. If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, Amos is an Old Testament book, one of the small uh, uh, little what we call prophetic books of the Old Testament. Amos was in a class of men that was called the 8th century prophets, and he served at a time when Israel's world was being undone. It was coming apart. It was being threatened. After several centuries of dominance and peace and prosperity, they saw all of the foundational principles of that country coming apart. And this is the time in which Amos' ministry was at its peak. So let's read verses 10 through 14. I'll read it. Follow along in your Bible. It says, Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you right here in the house of Israel, and the land cannot endure his words. For Amos has said this, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel certainly will go into exile from his homeland. Bad news, not good news. You know, we enjoy the prophet coming into the church or into the assembly and telling us how many blessings we're going to receive. That's the role that the modern-day church has of the prophet, that all your bills are going to be paid, all your diseases are going to be healed, and all your relationships are going to be made right. And we'll pay money to the prophet to tell us that, and when we go home, the relationship is still raggedy, the money is still gone, and our body is still sick. Y'all not with me, but I know I'm right. But the prophet in the Old Testament did not uh, have that assignment. His assignment was to say what the Lord had said. 
irrespective of whether or not we wanted to hear it or not. And so he gives some bad news. He says, Israel is going to go into exile and Jeroboam is going to die. Then verse 12, then Amaziah said to Amos, Amaziah was the preacher. He was the king's preacher. Go away, you seer, which is another word for prophet. Flee Flee to the land of Judah. Earn your living and give your prophecies there. But don't ever prophesy at Bethel again, for it is the king's sanctuary and a royal temple. And so Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, prophesy to my people Israel. As you have been seeking to hear the voice of the Lord in your own life, allow me to ask you a question. If you knew definitively that it was God speaking to you, would you really do what God was asking you to do? I'm not saying if you kind of fought it, if it was a, a, a feeling that you had inside, but you're not sure. I'm asking you, If you were 100% certain, no doubt in your mind, that it was God speaking to you, would you do what it is that God was saying? If you determined that the creator of the universe himself showed up in your personal and private space and he spoke to you, Would you obey him? If he said to you, um, never express rage for the rest of your life. If God said to you, never again express rage or contempt towards any loved one, would you do it? If he said to you for the rest of your life, what I want you to do, I want you to save your money. I I want you to uh, save 10%, give 10%, and live modestly on the rest. Would you do it? If the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the the end, the guy upstairs said, listen, I want you to quit your job, sell your house, liquidate your stocks, bonds, CDs. I want you to move to Overtown, and if you already live in Overtown, move to Gould. And once you've settled in there, um, I'm going to show you what it is I want you to do. But your first assignment is to dispossess yourself of all the things that you have been accumulating. Now, you know that seems kind of odd, but he's done it before. Yeah, he he has. Are are y'all still here? I mean, he has a track record of this. There was a guy who came to him one day and asked him, he said, you know, what is the greatest of all the commandments and what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom? And he said to him, he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go sell everything that you have. He says, and I want you to take it and once you have accumulated the, 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 the assets or the results of the sale from your house, or from your land, from your property, where you have a yard sale, get rid of your shoes and your jewelry, he said, I want you to take the sum of that money 
and I want you to go down to the Camilla's house and I, I want you to distribute that money amongst the poor at the Camilla's house. And then I want you to come back and follow me. But the Bible tells us that after this fellow heard what the Lord had said to him, y'all going to sleep on me out here, that this fellow went away sadly, not because he didn't have anything to sell, but because he had too much to sell. You see, sometimes God can bless us so much that we are unwilling to disconnect ourselves from the stuff that he's blessed us with. As a matter of fact, what happens sometimes when God blesses us is that we disconnect ourselves from God and connect ourselves to the stuff that he's blessed us with so that we're no longer able to have a commitment to the God who blesses us. If, if, if he really, if you knew that he spoke to you. Oh, well, that's too ridiculous. God's not going to tell me to, to, to get rid of my stuff. Well, suppose he said, I want you to be a blessing to your church. He said, since you're a jovial person, you have a wonderful personality, you're nice, you like to treat people really well, you're the life of the party. He said, what I want you to do, I want you to be what, one of those Sunday servants. You don't just serve someplace Sunday. As a matter of fact, you can pick, you can choose where you want to serve in your church on a Sunday. I just want you to be one of those people that welcomes others who are coming on the campus. Just find a place on a Sunday to serve. And then what I want you to be, here's your assignment, I want you to be the funniest, the most joyful, the zaniest, the most energetic servant, not just in your church. I want you to be the best in the world. Y'all not with me, huh? And then he says this. But I want you to do it on one condition. That you don't ever get a Sunday off. You don't get to rotate. Yeah, you don't serve on the first Sunday and then you're done for the other three. You serve every Sunday. I, I want you to use this humor, this joy, uh, this people skill. I, I, I want you on your post. I want you present 52 Sundays out of a year. He said, every time you go to church, I want you to be serving other people. He said, as a matter of fact, even if you go on vacation and go to church, I want you to find the leadership team at that church. And ask the leadership team at that church, I know this is kind of abnormal, but uh, I want to ask you if I can join your servants team. If you got special t-shirts that we need to wear, I'll put on the special t-shirt. Just show me where I need to be and I will help you welcome your people and make people who come on your campus feel comfortable. Well, if God asks you to do that, no days off for the rest of your life. Well, you know you, what you, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Lord, I ain't no usher now. I, I ain't no usher. I ain't, I don't, I ain't no park. I, I, I'm not a parking lot guy. He said, I, I can't do that every Sunday. You know, I, I'm a businessman. I'm a professional person. I've I, I got, I got skills. 
Yeah. Yeah. Would you do it? You see, most of us want to hear a definitive word from the Lord. We're in the deep into this fast. We're denying ourselves some good fried chicken and pork chops and, 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 some, and some biscuits. And, and, and we're denying ourselves all that, trying to hear a word from God. We even have nomenclature and language to describe our desire. I, I want a revelation from God. And I want God to speak a, we are going to speak in Greek. I want a rhema word to come in, in, into my, I need a rhema word from God. And if somebody asks you to give the definite Greek meaning of the word rhema, you'd be stuck like Chuck. You heard somebody else talking about rhema. Yeah, I want a rhema word from God. But listen, when are y'all ready for this? Whenever God speaks, if he should speak to you, it is required that you not only be a listener. Are you all feeling me? But you must also be a doer. James, the brother of Jesus, said, do not be hearers of the word and not doers of the word because if you hear and not do then you deceive yourself as a matter of fact there are a whole lot of folks that think that they're very good Christians because they're very good hearers of the word but there's another part to this he says don't just hear it but you must also do it as a matter of fact if and when God speaks, know that God is expecting more than an acknowledgement. As a matter of fact, God's not like us preachers. Preachers love amens. But God doesn't get all that excited about amens. God wants more than an acknowledgement. God wants obedience. And if he does speak, Whatever he says, whatever he tells you to do, whatever the enormity of the request, I want to say this to you. Whatever it is that God tells you to do, you can do it. I don't care how big it is. You can do it. But your obedience will come with a price. Number one. For your worksheets. You, if you obey God, you will be accused of starting trouble. If you obey God, you will be accused of starting trouble trouble. Verse 12, then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah. See, Amos was not from Israel where he was preaching. Amos was from Judah, which is the southern part of the kingdom. It would be just like somebody who lived in Niagara Falls or Detroit going over the border into Canada and preaching to the prime minister of Canada. 
So what he does, he goes out of his country and preaches to somebody else's king. And so the, the priest tells him to go back home, and he says, earn your bread and do your prophesying there. Listen, I want to say something to ministry leaders for a minute. Ministry leaders, one of the reasons the people in your ministry are so slack is because your standards are so low. I'm just talking to the leader. Because it's the leader who sets the standard as to how we're going to serve. Can I get some help in the house? It's the leader that convenes the meeting. It's the leader that sets the agenda. It's the leader that communicates to everybody else what it is we're going to do and how we're going to do it and what the expectations are and the reason some of our ministries have people who are so slack is because the leader does not want to be accused of starting some trouble. <laughs> oh, y'all going quiet on me. Listen. If you raise the standards, people are going to grumble. People are going to ask the question, well, why? If you raise the standards, they're going to start becoming historians on you. Well, we did not used to do it like this. And when we got started, according to the minutes that were taken back in 1906, it says right here, they're going to become church historians on you. But let me tell you something. Uh, ask God during this time of prayer and fasting to use some of that protein that's going into your body uh, to strengthen your backbone and stand there and declare that the Lord wants us to serve and serve well. And the only way to serve well is to have high standards and high expectations. Men and women never rise unless the expectations are high. Y'all still here? Number two, you will be told to stop obeying God. Amaziah said, don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. Stop it, Amos. Because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Listen, you will be told not to stop believing in God. Look at this. I want you to notice something here. You're not going to be told to stop believing in God. But you're going to be told to stop obeying God. Which is to say that there are a lot of people in the church. I hate to go down this road, Brother Harvey, but I, I'm just going to go down anyway. There's a lot of people in the church that believe in God, but are not obeying. Oh, I wish I had some. That are not obeying God. Yeah, they don't have any problem telling you that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he is Mary's child that was born of a virgin, and that his father, stepfather was just. They can tell you the whole story. They believe in God, but they do not obey God. Well, just as the writer of James, James says that faith without works is what? Faith cannot survive without works. 
Faith must have an assignment, not just a confession. Faith has to be applied to something. Uh, Faith must have engagement. One cannot claim to have faith and not serve God. Are you with me? And, and, And so that says something else. That if I am a part of a church, if I'm a part of a body of believers, and I say that I have faith in God, I also must be involved with the other believers in serving God. It is not right for me to declare belief in God and not also engage in serving God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, therefore... Since you believe so much in the resurrection, this is where he says it. Since you believe that God is going to raise you from the dead, since you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, since you believe that in one day the trumpet is going to sound and we're going to be raised incorruptible, he said, since you believe all that, he said, be steadfast, unmovable. Y'all not following me. Always abounding in the what? In the work. In other words, he says, since you believe so much, you believe in the impossible uh, power of God, God's ability to do that which is impossible. Since you believe that, then you should be always abounding, overdoing. Lord, you're going to be told, listen, you're going to be told to stop. I'm telling you. If you ever get on fire for God, if you ever get the mindset, I'm going to serve God with everything I have. I'm going to give God 100% of my life. I'm going to be present and accounted for. I'm going to sacrifice to make sure that God is pleased with my life. I'm going to go beyond the call of duty. I'm going to make sure that I use the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time, the treasure that God has given to me in his service. I dare you to double dog your commitment. I dare you to raise the ante on your sacrifice. Somebody who is saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues and interpreting them is going to tell you to quit it. They're going to tell you to stop. You got to do all that. You got to be that committed. You got to be that sold out. God understands you got to watch the football game tonight. God wants you to have a little fun. So your labor, listen, 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 listen. I I worked for several years as a chemist. I also worked several years in the tobacco field. Also worked for McDonald's. I worked for the Mini Mart at Fort Dix, New Jersey. I used to cut grass. I worked for the school board of Broward County. I worked for Broward Community College. But the scripture says that your labor, I taught some students at Broward Community College, gave them some tests, and I'm going to tell you, if I could find any of those students right now and ask them what I taught them, I'm telling you, they ain't going to be able to tell me nothing. I taught them about Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, nothing. The work that I did at the Environmental Protection Agency, they could have found somebody else to do the same work that I was doing. But the Bible says 
that your work, your labor that you do for God is not in vain. Finally, number three. Number three. You're going to have to tell your story. Somebody's going to tell you to stop. Somebody's going to accuse you of starting trouble. You're going to have to be willing to tell your story. See, when you're accused of starting trouble, when those who you thought were going to support you telling you you need to stop what you're doing, you got to be able to tell your story. Anyone see the movie The Notebook? The real, I'm, I'm not a love story guy, but I, I really like the, that story. It's about a guy James Garner played in it. He played a character uh, who was married to a, a woman who had Alzheimer's. And what he does, he goes to the nursing home every day, and he sits with her, and he begins to, he reads this story to her every day. And he reads this story, and he always ends at a certain point, leaves her hanging, and it makes her ask questions. Well, what happened next? That's what she would say. Well, what happened next? Well, did he take her on a trip, or did he end up marrying her? Did they have any kids? And he said, oh, well, we'll talk about that. That's coming up in the next chapter. But as you go along in the movie, what you come to discover is that he is reading the story of their lives together. And so it's actually him who is the subject of the story. And she is a part of the story. And that's his wife. And she's read, he's reading the story to her again, hoping that it would stimulate something in her mind to bring her back to who she was when they were married. And so what, what he's saying is that he's not ashamed of his wife, even though she has Alzheimer's now. That their stories are intertwined together. They are inextricably and inseparable. And though she's not what she used to be, she's not what everybody would want in a wife, he is still 100% committed. Listen to the words of Amos. Amaziah the priest told him to stop preaching, stop prophesying, stop serving. And look at what he says. He says, I was not a prophet nor a prophet's son. He said, I was not called, I wasn't trained. This is not my skill set. This is not what I do. He said, let me tell you about me. He said, I'm a shepherd. I keep sheep. I raise sheep. I shear sheep. I take sheep to market. And I also am a farmer. I raise fig trees. But while I was shepherding, I wish I had somebody following me. And while I was keeping my fig trees, while I was busy uh, taking care of what I thought was my giftedness, uh, while I was doing what I thought God had put me on this earth to do, while I was minding my own business, not bothering with anybody, the Lord spoke to me. 
I'm just going to tell you something, my brothers and sisters, that God is not going to speak when you expect him to. Sometimes it's when everything is going just like you want it to go. When you want, and then God will speak. And he said, the Lord told me to go prophesy to my people, Israel. Jesus came to tell us this. God will speak. I wish I had somebody say amen. He will speak to you. But the question is, if he speaks to you, are you willing to do what it is that he's telling you to do? Listen, let me, can I just be honest with you? Y'all mind? You may as well go ahead and eat your chicken. You may as well go ahead and eat your pie. You may as well go ahead and drink your sodas and you drink your, uh, your, your Shavis Regal and your coffee and your donuts. If you're praying for God to speak to you in the context of this Daniel's fast, because if God speaks to you, and you don't do what it is that God told you to do. You just wasted some good fried chicken, some good fried fish, some wonderful cake. If you don't obey what God has called you to do, you may as well go ahead and eat. All right, with me. Don't be walking around your stomach growling, telling me I can't find. Go ahead and eat if you're not going to obey. Because the fast that God calls us to is a fast of response, responsiveness. When he speaks to our lives, let us stand.